All right, let's begin. Session three, the Bible zine, Scripture Meets People magazine. I want to begin tonight with a thought experiment. And I actually want you to close your eyes for a moment, unless, of course, you're listening to this as a podcast as you drive. But close your eyes for a moment. Close your eyes for a moment and picture the Bible. Now, don't focus on its words. Don't focus on any particular verse or passage. Instead, focus on its appearance. What does the Bible look like in your mind's eye? What sort of cover does it have? Is it leather? Is it paper? Is it hardback or softback? Is the book itself large or small? What about the individual pages? What's the font like? Are there notes at the bottom of the page? Are there charts, illustrations, or pictures? What is the Bible supposed to look like? You can open your eyes. I think we all in our, uh, in our mind have an image of what the Bible looks like. This image might reflect the appearance of the Bible that you actually use and have at home. Maybe the Bible you have in your head looks a lot like the Bible we have in our pews uh, here at a local church. Uh, or perhaps you're, the Bible in your head looks something like uh, the Bible you grew up with. The latter is the case for me. The Bible in, that I picture in my head looks like the, the family Bible that we had in our living room. And it looks, this is not actually a picture of it, but it looks some, it looked something like this. It sat on a tall oak bookshelf in one of those living rooms that you never sat in but only ever walked through to get to other rooms in your house. Needless to say, this Bible was not used a whole lot. The Bible itself was massive. I swear to you, it was at least 20 pounds. It was white leather bound with fancy script on the front. Its pages were silky smooth with gold uh, edges on them. The font was this old bookish style. You knew you were reading the Bible when you looked at one of its pages. And of course, it was a red letter edition, meaning that every word that Jesus uh, spoke directly was highlighted in red. Now this particular Bible, as I said, was massive, and that's in part because it included a lot of stuff that wasn't Bible inside of it. This particular Bible that we had doubled as a type of family history album. There were uh, blank pages, or really template pages, that you could fill in whenever there was a birth, or a baptism, or a marriage, or a death, or the like. And so you kind of actually, it was living history. You, you put stuff in the Bible, and the idea is that you would pass this Bible on uh, down the ages. For me, this is what the Bible is supposed to look like. I don't use a Bible like this, but it's still the iconic image of the Bible in my head. But not all Bibles were created in its image. Consider, for instance, what is known as the Bible zine. The Bible zine is exactly what it sounds like. It's a Bible, or portions of it, packaged in the form of a magazine, not, like, not unlike People magazine or Us Weekly. As you can see here, this uh, Bible zine is called Revolve. And what you're actually looking at here on the screen is the New Testament. This is the New Testament, but in a very, very different form and appearance than you might be familiar with. The Bible magazine, or Bible zine, is the creation of Thomas Nelson, a Nashville, Tennessee-based Christian publishing firm, which publishes leading Christian authors like Billy Graham and Max uh, Lakato, John Eldridge, and Charles Stanley. Now, Thomas Nelson produces a variety of different Bible zines, 
uh, and, and places them on the market. Each Bible zine is designed with a spe specific demographic in view, and each has its own unique title to fit. Let me just show you several of them. Becoming is a college age and young professional women's Bible. Now again, it's the New Testament, but it's targeted at that particular demographic. Align is for young professional men. Redefine is for baby boomers. Refuel is for teenage boys. Revolve is for teenage girls. Explore is for preteen boys, and Blossom is for preteen girls, and Magnify is for little itty bits, little young ones. There are others as well. For certain versions, particularly popular, one, uh, popular ones, Thomas Nelson actually uh, publishes multiple editions of the same target-focused Bible zine. So for instance, there are at least six different versions of Becoming. Each is the same New Testament, but around the New Testament, the content included changes with it. And they get published about every year, not unlike a regular uh, kind of large uh, magazine. Uh, this last one here, or sorry, here, this one, is actually becoming, but it's the wisdom books. You can see right up here. This is no longer the New Testament. All of these are New Testaments. And these are the wisdoms, wisdom books um, uh, packaged in a, in a similar format. On the outside, as you can see here, are splashy teasers and titles meant to grab your attention and entice you to actually look inside, or as it goes, buy it off the shelf in the first place. For instance, in this version of Becoming, you see titles like, What Guys Are Really Thinking? Or, Balanced Family, Career, and Faith. Or, 15 More Stories of Survival. I don't know where the, the other stories were, but this is the 15 More Stories of Survival. So it reads actually a lot like the sort of magazine you get in, that you see in the grocery counter when you're, uh, when you're checking out. But remember, again, this is, in this case, uh, is a Bible. This is uh, wisdom literature here. Now, what do you find when you look inside of a Bible zine? Well, here's one two-page spread from the Explore Bible for preteen boys. As you can tell, there is a combination of text boxes, short articles, graphic hooks, ads for other Nelson, Thomas Nelson products, and, and along with that, some Bible. Uh, some of the boxes offer uh, expert insight on biblically-based questions, like this one on what God thinks about entertainment. I read ahead, and God is mostly okay with entertainment, according to this Bible zine, with some exceptions. Others are more practical, uh, deriving advice for life from the Bible itself. This is a list of do's and don'ts about kind of getting along with your friends. So uh, don't take advantage of your friends. Do take turns deciding where to go cruising. You can tell this is a bit dated, <laughs> I think. And it troubles me not, not a little that this is for preteen boys. So I'm not sure how they're cruising uh, or what that means uh, for them to be doing that. But that's another uh, point uh, for another time. Um, other tips have seemingly little to do with the Bible itself, such as this box on how to make a, peanut, a better peanut butter sandwich. Now, again, I read ahead for your convenience, and the solution is uh, using fancy multigrain bread and uh, natural peanut butter uh, bought from a health food store. That is the key, apparently, for making a better peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, and, and many other things as well. And the lesson, by the way, Florida, since you did pick up on that, the lesson was just like we should use variety in making our peanut butter sandwiches, so too should we use variety when reading the Psalms and prayer.
So there's a broad analogical connection that doesn't initially make sense, perhaps, as you're scanning through it. Now, I have to say that some of it, some of the content that is in the Bible zines, just seems plain random. Like this top ten list of random popular crayon colors. Now, I have to say that I did not know that atomic tangerine and razzmatazz were actually colors. But apparently they are. I looked it up. Razzmatazz is a shade of red. Who knew? All of this, mind you, is on a two-page spread that features the text of Joshua 19.20 through uh, 20, verse 6, which has nothing, by the way, to do with entertainment or friendships or PB&J or crayons. Rather, the text of Joshua 19 and 20 has to do with the distribution of land to the 12 tribes of Israel as they first enter into the land of Canaan, and it gets distributed to them. It seems as if the publishers here felt the need to add some razzmatazz to this otherwise boring part of scripture. And thus we have all of these boxes and texts. Needless to say, this is not your grandmother's Bible. And I suspect it doesn't look anything like the Bible you pictured in your head at the beginning of this lecture. So what do we do with this? How do we understand this curious combination of scripture and magazine, of pop culture and God's holy word? What happens to the message of the Bible when it comes in this medium? What motivations, both the theological and commercial, lie behind the Bible zines? Well, these are the sorts of questions we're going to be answering in this and the next session. And in order to begin to get at these questions and others like them about this weird phenomenon called the Bible zine, we need to take a step back and better understand two forces that led to the introduction of the Bible zine into the market uh, near the turn of the 20th, uh, or, or in, in the late 90s, I should say. Now, on the one hand, the uh, sorry, that's a one click behind here. On the one hand, the Bible zine represents a point of theological emphasis that goes all the way back to Puritan Christianity and really before that to the time of the Protestant Reformation. Namely, the origins of this sort of Bible is the theology of sola scriptura. What does sola scriptura mean? It's our quick little theology quiz for the evening. It's Latin. Uh, only the scripture, and only the scripture for what, or with respect to what? That's absolutely right. Authority, uh, determining faith in life, that's absolutely right. The, the, the kind of the formal description is it's a doctrine that states that the Bible alone, that's the sola part of the scriptura, the Bible alone is the supreme authority in all matters of faith and practice. It is, in many ways, the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation, and that had a large influence on Puritan Christianity, which of course had a large influence on, uh, on religion in this particular country. Here's the deal, though. If the Bible was to be the supreme authority, then it became necessary and critical to get that authoritative text into the hands of believers. You couldn't have an authoritative text in abstract. You actually had to have it accessible to people. And you would do that, you would try to get the Bible in the hands of as many people as possible and by whatever means were available. This sentiment is expressed nicely by the theologian and biblical scholar John W. Nevin uh, in 1851. He says this, The great matter, accordingly, is to place the Bible in every man's hands and to have him able to read it, that he may then follow it in his own way. The dissemination of its printed text through the world 
without note or comment, is the one thing specially needful and specially to be relied upon for the full victory of Christianity. So note the points of emphasis here. There is the printing of the Bible, the distribution of the Bible, but also paving way for people who receive the Bible to be able to read it. Now, on one hand, that led uh, many Christians, particularly in this country, to be heavily invested in education. Many schools were founded so as to teach people how to read, but in particular, how to read scripture. That was part of it. Sola Scriptura is only a theory unless you can actually interact with the word itself. Now, the emphasis on getting the Bible in, quote, every man or woman's hands often meant rethinking its age-old forms and appearance. And so my point here is that what we see in the Bible zine, this weird kind of new form of Bible, this, the impulse that led to that, actually goes all the way back to the 16th century. And I'll actually give you a few examples. Now, they're not going to look as wild as the Bible zines, but for their day and age, these were equally shocking. In 1643, a soldier's pocket Bible was published. It was a 16-page collection of brief passages, mostly from the Old Testament, used by Oliver Cromwell's parliamentary soldiers in the English Civil War. About 50 years later, this was revised and reprinted as the Christian Soldier's Penny Bible, because it was quite small, um, and it was used by Union and Confederate soldiers in the American Civil War uh, in the 19th century. There is this strange Bible, as you can tell, it's quite small, uh, only about an inch or two across uh, and high. This is a, a German thumb Bible from 1811. Believe it or not, it has all of the text of the KJV in it, and it came packaged with a magnifying glass, because you obviously needed something uh, to help you read the very, very itty bitty text. Now, more recently, uh, from 1972, uh, and this was really the beginning of the Bible zine revolution in many ways, uh, was a new Bible published by the Tyndale House uh, and the editors of Campus Life magazine, a publication of the Youth for Christ. And it was called The Way, The Living Bible Illustrated. Now, does this look familiar to anyone? Did everyone have a, this Bible or anyone like it? I'm seeing a few hands and a few nods. This was revolutionary for its day. It had these colors and kind of the groovy letters on the front. It, had, it was real floppy and almost glossy-like. It looked really different than the sort of Bible I had on my shelves. And this is already back to, to 1972, a good 26 years before the Bible zine would ever uh, hit the market. Uh, in each of these cases, from the Soldier's Pocket Bible in 1643 all the way to the way uh, Bible here in, in 1972, the concern was the same. Same. It was popularizing scripture, or there was a, there was a concern with popularizing scripture, um, or more so concerned with that than preserving a specific form or appearance of scripture, all in the service of getting the Bible into more hands, or I should say, all in the service of getting people to open the Bible more readily. The theory was that Books, including the Bibles, are in fact judged by their cover. So if we change the cover, maybe more people will open the book. This is the theological rationale, and it's kind of the most charitable reading of the Bible zine. But there's a second for force that has given rise to the Bible zine that is less theology-driven and more market-driven. In particular, it's the big business of Bible publishing. You might not have ever thought of it, but one of the most probably the most lucrative area of publishing today is the publication of Bibles. 
As is well known, the book publishing industry is on life support and has been for at least 10 years, but maybe quite a bit longer. Brick and mortar shops like Barnes and Noble are rapidly closing. And even online sales of print books from places like Amazon are also down due to the emergence of e-readers and other forms of digital media. It's not a good time to be in the book publishing business, except, of course, if you're publishing the Bible. In the midst of the publishing crisis, Bible sales are booming. Now, these, these, some of these stats are a bit dated, but you can extrapolate out to where we are now. In 2007, 25 million Bibles were sold 25 million Bibles were sold in the U.S. alone, producing a revenue of 70, uh, $770 million, so just shy of a billion dollars of revenue from Bible publishing alone. In 2008, at the height of the economic crisis, when book sales fell through the, uh, th th fell through the floor, Bible sales increased almost 10%. $823 million of revenue. The average Christian, let me ask you this, the average Christian household owns how many Bibles? The average Christian household owns nine Bibles, and on average, the Christian household buys one new Bible a year. The Bible is easily and far and away the best-selling book of all time. It's actually the best-selling book every week and every month, but the New York Times bestseller list just decided not to keep listing the Bible. No, this, is, this is true, actually. The Bible is always number one on the New York Times bestseller list. They just don't include it. So that number one is really always number two. Still true to this day. The Bible publishing business is lucrative, not surprisingly. The two biggest, biggest Bible publishing uh, companies in the U.S. are owned by larger non-Christian media conglomerates that are explicitly tuned in to the revenue potential in selling scripture. I'll give you just two examples. Thomas Nelson, the one that produces the Bible zine, uh, publishes more than 300 different Bibles and controls about 20% of the Bible market in the U.S. It was purchased in 2006 by private equity firm Intermedia Partners in a deal worth $473 million. That's what it was worth to this investment capital team. Not to be outdone, Zondervan lists more than 500 different Bibles in its collection and controls 35% of the biblical market. It was purchased in 1988 by HarperCollins, which some of you might know. But you might not know that HarperCollins is part of the News Corporation, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Smart people know where the money is in Bible publishing. The point is, publishers know that the scripture sells. So increased interest, so there is increased interest in gaining a greater market share. This is in fact why Thomas Nelson in 1998 hired Haley Morgan, the creative genius behind the Bible zine. Uh, Haley had formerly worked with Nike and was recruited away to head up the young adult uh, marketing division of their Bible publishing area. Within three years of the invention of the Bible zine, it had netted $10 million a year of revenue for Thomas Nelson. But here's the fundamental paradox in all of this. The paradox of big business Bible publishing is that no one ever needs to buy a Bible. No one ever needs to buy a Bible, right? 
The Bible is not a copywritten. Ancient texts are not copywritten. Um, so you can get it for free online without cost anytime you wanted. Plus, you could wander into any church. And if you ask for a Bible, I'm sure any church would give you a Bible for free. And this is not even to mention the fact that organizations like Gideon's International um, has a mission of disseminating Bibles free of charge directly to individuals or uh, to put them in public places. Like you've all seen them, of course, in the drawers in your hotel room dressers. Um, Gideon's has distributed over two billion, with a B, Bibles. This is actually a screenshot from their website this morning. They have an ongoing counter of how many Bibles they've given away. So this is a two billion here. Um, and I actually sat there and timed it for a minute. This is what I was doing at 6 a.m. I sat there and timed it for a minute to see how many Bibles they gave away per minute. 150. So here's the paradox. The Bible is the easiest book in the world to get for free. And yet it is the most purchased book in the world to date. How does that make sense? Why do people keep buying Bibles when we can get them from free anywhere? The reason, I think, is spelled out on the front cover of the Bible Zine. It says this. This is part of its introduction. God never intended the Bible to be too difficult for his people. But today, now that the Bible is readily available, many Christians do not regularly read it. Many feel that the Bible is too hard to understand or irrelevant to life. The Bible zine captures, now here's the pitch for the Bible zine. The Bible zine captures the clear and simple message that the very first readers understood. It presents the Bible as God intended it, clear and dynamic. Now, we might take issue with some of these descriptions, whether the Bible really was meant to be easy, whether the original readers thought it was easy, or whether God intended it to be clear and dynamic in the way of the Bible zine. All of those questions might be open for debate. The point here, though, is the editors of the Bible zine are playing into the expectations of what the Bible should be and do in popular Christian culture. Looking at this description, what can you infer about what people expect from the Bible or expect their reading experience to be like when they open the pages of the Bible? So not hard to understand, right? So they expect that this, this should be easy reading in many ways. The truth, so it should be authoritative, definitive, and in a clear way, not in a murky way. What else? Interesting. That's right. So it's, and it's not only clear and authoritative and easy to read, but it's engaging, right? It's the, it's the thing you want to read in the summer at the beach. It's a, it's a page turner. <laughs> There's a way to do that. I'm going to talk about that later. Yeah, walk. In your own language. In your own language. So the Bible should sound like you when you talk, right? It should sound like you and I when we just have a conversation. That's what the Bible should sound like. No these and thous and, and those such things. Anything else? right. It should just, we should read it and the meaning should pop off the page clear. There should be no ambiguity. There shouldn't be multiple perspectives. It should be clear. It should be a guidebook and a rule book for life. This is the popular expectation of how the Bible is to work. And these publishers know it. They know it. And so they design a Bible that meets those expectations. Now, if you've ever tried to read the Bible, which I suspect many of you have, it doesn't often feel 
easy to read, doesn't often feel like a page turner. Uh, there are parts of it that are simply confusing and complicated or boring or don't seem to apply to our lives. Maybe this is just me thinking here. Um, many parts of the Bible are difficult to square with other parts of the Bible. We, they might even feel contradictory or out of date. A remedy is needed, especially if we are going to, to continue believing in sola scriptura. We need to fix this problem. The remedy, at least for the Bible zine, comes in the form of supplementing scripture with additional material, materials that help make one's experience of the Bible line up with their expectations. If we approach the Bible looking for a clear, simple, straightforward, and easy-to-follow guidebook to all things in life, then the Bible zine will deliver. And this is the strategy. In our next session, what I want to do is I'm going to name three ways in which the Bible zine supplements Scripture and what their implications are for the Bible and its interpretation. Let's take a five-minute break, and then we'll reconvene. So grab some coffee, grab some more dessert, and we'll be right back.